You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. It is great to be here uh, this morning with you and uh, excited to be able to open up the word with you as well. Uh, You know, we had to stop our uh, college year early as well, about a month early. And uh, that was a challenge in itself, but our students handle it so well. And their hearts really did, during those days, bend towards Jesus. And uh, they landed well. I mean, we have uh, chatted with almost, uh, probably all of our students, some of us as staff have, up there at our Sunnybrae campus. And um, what we have uh, heard from our students is that their hearts are bending towards Jesus. They're pursuing Him, even though our college year didn't end the same way that we uh, had kind of hoped it would. And that's been my prayer for this, for this morning as well, that God would use what um, he has said in his word. Uh, and when Pastor Melton phoned and asked if I would come down and do this uh, video sermon, uh, I began to pray, Lord, what would you have me share with the folks down in Kelowna? And he uh, gave me a text that I've been mulling over in my mind, uh, pondering, praying through, meditating on. And, um, and, and my prayer is that just like our students' hearts are bending towards Jesus, that as a result of God's word, that God's speaking to us through his word this morning, our hearts too would uh, bend t- towards Jesus, that, that you'd love him more because of our time together uh, this morning, and that God would be glorified in your life as you chase after Jesus with everything in you. I'm uh, going to look at a stunning passage, an unbelievable text, but before we do that, let me uh, pray And we're going to commit these next moments to the Lord. Father, thank you that uh, you know exactly what's going on, even as we're recording now and then playing it on Sunday morning. And and we're we're excited to be able to be together uh, as your church. Thank you that you're not bound by time or by space and that you're moving in our hearts right now. So this morning, oh God, I pray that you would... um, incline our hearts towards you. Our tendency, our propensity as human beings is for our hearts to incline away from you. So we would ask, like King David did, just with that simple prayer, oh, incline our hearts towards you. Would you open our eyes that we would see glorious things in your word? Would you unite our hearts? Would you give us us an undivided heart in these next moments as we we, uh, open up your word? And then, like King David also prayed, Lord, satisfy us this morning that we might be glad all the day long. So we're asking that. Spirit of God, would you come now and move in our midst? In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter four. That's uh, where we find the text that God has been using in my life and speaking to my heart. And as you turn uh, to uh, Philippians chapter four, let me tell you a little story about a a rich businessman who found himself somewhat perturbed on a vacation that he was on in one of, the, on one of those Caribbean islands in the south. And he was perturbed at this fisherman who was sitting lazily by his fishing boat. And uh, the rich businessman approached this fisherman and asked this fisherman, why aren't you fishing? Uh, and the fisherman replied, because I've caught enough fish for the day. And the businessman kept pushing a little bit because he wasn't exactly enjoying what he was observing. And the, the rich man, the businessman said, why don't you catch more fish than you need? And the fisherman, who was relaxing beside his boat, said, what would I do with them? Why would I do that? 
And the businessman began to elaborate, well, you could earn more money and you could buy a better boat so you could go deeper out and further out. And, and with uh, the more fish that you catch, you could purchase nylon nets and, and you could catch even more fish and make more money. And, and soon you'd have a fleet of boats and you could be rich like me. And the fisherman looked at him and said, well, what would I do then? And the rich man said, well, then you could sit down and enjoy life. And whereby the fisherman smiled and replied, what do you think I'm doing right now? Uh, there's a story told of Socrates walking through the market in Athens and uh, saw all of the abundance, the options that were available. And he was heard saying to himself, who would have thought that there could be so many things that I can do without? Now, I don't know about you, but during these COVID-19 days, there have been probably some of those feelings where we're doing without the things that we're, we were normally used to doing. Uh, maybe you find some discontentment creeping into your heart. Discontentment with not being able to do the things that you normally used to do. Not being able to go to the places that you normally used to go to. Not being able to see the people that you used to normally see, like here at Hope Bible Church on a Sunday morning at the theater. Uh, not being able to eat at your favorite restaurant, the place that you used to go to on Friday nights or whenever it was. And all of a sudden, there's this discontentment that starts to rise in your heart and maybe you start feeling it in your soul. Well, our text uh, speaks to contentment or countering discontentment head on. And so let's go ahead and read uh, Philippians chapter 4 and we're going to start in verse 10. And read 13 verse, or down to verse 13, not 13 verses. Philippians 4, verse 10, and this is what we read. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, Paul says, that now at length you have received, uh, revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What a powerful, powerful word. And there are some wonderful truths that we're gonna try to mine out of those verses. So here's where we're going this, this morning. I wanna point out four observations from this text. They're easy to spot. You're gonna see them right away. Uh, then there's going to be one main question, and, and, and I want to ask the question and then answer the question, and then there's going to be one main point, and then I'm going to land the plane here in a little while with an application that we can take away this morning. So here's observation number one. Paul was full of joy. Very clear. In verse 10, the first part of verse 10, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, and now at length you have revived your for uh, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Um, how do I know that he was full of joy? Well, this word "great" is an indicator of what kind of joy he had. He had great joy, or he rejoiced greatly. In the Greek, this word uh, "greatly" comes from the word "megalos" or "mega." We get the English word "mega" uh, from that Greek word, and it means big and exceeding, uh, exceeding greatness or to an intense degree. And, and what Paul is saying here, here is that his joy, his gladness, his delight was, 
was, in, was to an intense degree, it was uh, of exceeding greatness, big time joy, exceeding joy, intense joy. And uh, it shouldn't surprise us that he talks at the end of this letter that he's writing to the Philippians, he's talking about joy. This letter sometimes is referred to the letter of joy. 16 times Paul uses the word joy or rejoice. And so now he's talking about his heart rejoicing, being full of joy, being full of gladness, being full of delight. Now, what should make us sit up and take note, though, uh, are the circumstances that the Apostle Paul was writing from. Paul, God had used Paul in the planting of this church in Philippi, so he knew these people, he loved these people. The church was dear to his heart, and, and so he writes this letter, uh, and he's giving a personal update, he's, he's, he's uh, correcting a few issues that he has heard about in the church in Philippi, some, some divisions and some discord, and he's encouraging them to embrace humility like Jesus. He, he in this letter, warns against some false teaching, and he's commending his spiritual son, Timothy, to the church and saying, hey, he's going to be of great asset to you. Epaphroditus, who was part of this church, uh, got sick, and so Paul is giving a little health update about Epaphroditus. And he's now here in this text thanking the church for their generosity. But, but, but the reason why this uh, word that he uh, is so full of joy that his, his, he's rejoicing greatly is a little bit stunning is because the Apostle Paul is in jail. He's sitting in prison, probably in Rome. They're not exactly sure where he was, but likely in Rome. And it was a tough situation. His life even might be on the line. He, he felt in some of the, there's some indication in the letter that, man, maybe my life is coming to an end here. And so he's sitting, bound. He's, he's in the midst of this dire circumstance. And yet Paul says, I'm rejoicing greatly. My heart is is exceedingly full of joy and gladness and delight. And he exhorts the Philippians also to be that way. So that's observation number one. Observation number two, Paul's great joy was because the church in Philippi had been generous towards him. And we can see that in uh, the latter part of verse 10, where he says, you were indeed concerned for me, but now, but you had no opportunity. Uh, the, the, the middle of the verse says, you've revived your concern for me. And then if we keep reading down in, in um, uh, yeah, verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation to be content, uh, but, but they obviously had sent some sort of a financial gift to Paul. Uh, they knew that he was in need, uh, and it, uh, down in verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even, the Thessalon even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. And I've received full payment and more, and I'm well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And so they'd gathered some sort of a financial gift and they'd sent it to Paul. And Paul's now responding with thanksgiving and he's saying, my heart's just full of joy. I'm just full of joy with this gift that you have sent, your, ge your generosity to me. And, and there seemed to be an inability at, at some point for them to be able to show this generosity. He says, but you had no opportunity. 
And what's interesting about this text is that Paul's not saying these things in order to beg for more. That's not his intent. His intent was just to glorify God with the gift that, that the, the church in Philippi had sent him. And so, so Paul is full of great joy, or he's full of joy, great joy. And the reason he's full of joy is because of their generosity. Here's observation number three from our text. Paul had learned in whatever circumstance to be content. He'd learned to be content in whatever circumstance he was in. And we read it here, in much or in little, in being brought low or humbled or abounding, having more than enough, excess, in plenty, to be fed and to be satisfied, or in need, to be last or to be lacking. And this word content simply has the idea that, that there's sufficiency, there's he, he's, there's, ad, like, there's enough, there's, he's adequately supplied for, he's satisfied with his lot, he's happy with, uh, with what he has. So there, there is this sense that, uh, that he, was, he was absolutely happy with the very circumstance that he was in. And remember now, Paul is sitting in prison and his message is contentment. And, and he says, in, in every circumstance, I've learned to be content. And it wouldn't be wrong for you to ask, really, Paul, like, is this, is this coming from your heart or are you just saying this? Is this just lip service or is this actually something that you're feeling in your heart? Content in whatever situation you find yourself? Really, Paul? Right now, sitting in prison, chained to a Roman guard? No freedom, days of hunger, sleepless nights, isolation. We know a little bit of isolation. Yet you're saying here that you've learned to be content in whatever situation. That's an amazing statement. I wonder if uh, a camera crew were to follow us around day in and day out and just kind of watch the kind of language that we have. Would they, would they be able to record our lives as this, that our lives would be marked with contentment? Well, maybe. Maybe some of you, it's, that's, that's where you're at right now. But I'm guessing some of you watching this morning aren't feeling really content. And you, when Paul says, I've learned to be content in whatever situation, whether well-fed or in need, with much or with little, being brought low or abounding. And you might be questioning that. Here's the fourth observation, and then a question that I'd like to pose. Observation number four is, there was a secret that Paul had learned that served as the foundation for his contentment. There's a secret that Paul had learned that served as a foundation, a building block for his contentment. Look at verse 12. This is amazing. He says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in many and every circumstance. Watch now, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abounding uh, uh, in abundance and in need. The, the Christian Standard Bible says it this way, and I, I like this translation because it uses the word content. It's, he's, uh, the, the, this translation says, I know both how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. And as I read this text and as I read these verses, there are a number of questions that come to my mind. And maybe just a little side note or a side challenge for you. Uh, if, if you're a follower of Jesus or maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, when you open up the Bible, take your time to ask questions. Uh, not everything is just gonna be easy and understandable at first glance. And I think we in our Western culture, we tend to just rush too much and we don't slow down, we don't stop and, and ponder and ask some, 
some of the questions. And, and, and when you read and when you meditate on God's Word, ask questions that might arise in your mind. Slow down. Ponder. Maybe, maybe read less in order to meditate and ask the deeper questions a little bit more. If you say, I just don't have time to ask the questions, well, then just slow down. Maybe don't read as much, but, but read the Bible and ask questions. And then ask God to bring to mind the things in his word that he desires you to see for you to ponder. Because God speaks to us through his word. We want to hear what he has to say. And so the main question is, I'm reading this, the main question that popped, and there were a few questions, but the main question that popped into my mind was, well, what's the secret that Paul's talking about? He's talking about here about being content in whatever circumstance, whatever situation. He's talking about um, being brought low and being content, what it's like to abound being content. And then he says, I've learned this secret. I've learned the secret of being content, whether with plenty or with hunger. Now, this word secret is interesting because in the Greek, it has this idea that, that you are initiated into a mystery or or you're introduced to something that you've not known before. You've learned a secret. Well, that's what secrets are. You didn't know it before, and now you know it. And, and there is this initiation mindset with this word that, that somebody's been introduced to something, and now they have knowledge that they didn't have before. And it's something that Paul was introduced to, a mystery that he'd been initiated into. And we always need to look at the text when we're asking questions to see if there are answers. It's just... It's just a way that we study the Bible. Are there, are there indicators around the questions that we have in a specific text? Are there answers specifically that are going to answer uh, the questions that we're asking? And so what was the secret that Paul had learned? What was it that he had not known before? What mystery had Paul been initiated into? And there's a clue in this verse. We have it right here in the text. In verse 10, at the very beginning, he says, I rejoiced how? in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. So, so there's this indicator that his joy, uh, his great joy, his full joy, was in the Lord. That's a critical phrase, in the Lord. The secret that Paul was talking about reveals to us, and we're going to see this in the text right away, reveals to us how we, not, not just why we can be content, but how we can be content. And the how is right here. You've, you've already seen it in verse 13. Paul says this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Sometimes that, that verse is, is uh, just thrown out there and we take it and we grab it and we put it almost to, to anything. I saw a little cartoon the other day of a guy trying to open a pickle jar and the cartoon was him opening this pickle jar and he can't get it and he's saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And his wife comes along and says, hey Jack, don't be, that's not meant to, uh, no, what, what, now I forget it, but it's something about, it's not meant to twist the cap off a pickle jar, and please don't twist the scriptures. This verse is not just like something you can hang your hat on and say, oh, I can do anything through Christ. This is specifically in the context of being content. And what, what I want you to see here is this is the how you and I can learn to be content is by God's strength. If you think that you can do this contentment thing on your own, you're fooling yourself. I'm fooling myself. Jesus' strength is the very thing that's going to allow us to rejoice and to be glad and to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself in. And so Paul's in jail, and it's through God's strength, through Christ's strength, that he's able to say, I rejoice and I'm content. Don't minimize the strength that Jesus wants to give you in your battle of contentment. And Paul, earlier in his letter to the Philippians, he talks about 
uh, knowing the power of the resurrection of Jesus. That's the kind of strength that we need in order to fight contentment. This is not, this is not something that, that we can just do in our own strength. But he, here's the bigger question. That's, a, that's, a, that's clear in the text. This is how I'm going to do it. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I'm in the Lord. I'm rejoicing greatly in the Lord. Here's the question that I'd like to ask, though. Why? Why would I live, choose to live a contented life? Why would you choose to live a contented life? Why can Paul say, I'm content with lots or with little? What was the motivating factor in Paul's contentment? Why, why could he say this? And let me just say that there's more than just sheer willpower here. There's more than just determination and resolve and self-discipline. That only lasts so long. We know that, right? This isn't a Tony Robbins moment where he's going to tell us somehow, you have it in you, you can do it, or simply a moving motivational TED Talk that's going to leave you going. It's like, I think I can do this. If I just try a little bit harder and, and you pull up the bootstraps of determination and willpower and you move forward. No, there's way more to the why. Paul was content. And Paul had already played this card earlier in his letter to the church. And so I'm thinking, as there, I mean, we read letters. When, when I get a letter, an email, I don't read it in sections. I don't like, well, I'm going to read the first paragraph today, and then tomorrow I'm going to read the next paragraph. I'm sure that when the church in Philippi got this letter, they read the whole thing. And so they, they knew the, the whole flow of Paul's thinking and what he was saying. So I want you to turn back to Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to read the first 10 verses. And I I think this is, this is the why behind Paul's contentment. This is why Paul could say, I've learned to be content. How? Through Christ's strength, through his power. That's how it's going to happen. Here's the why. Look at it. Chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. There it is again, that whole idea of joyful, being joyful and being full of delight and gladness. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. In other words, I'm going to just keep repeating myself. I'm going to just keep saying the same thing over because it's good for you and it's good for me. Isn't that the way it is? Like, we need to be reminded of stuff so often. Paul goes on to say, look out for the dogs. Here's a warning about some false teachers. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Uh, for we are the, circum we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also, if anyone else uh, thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And so, so there is this battle that Paul is addressing here of those who feel that there's uh, some religious superiority, that there are some things that, that they have done that make them acceptable in God's eyes. And Paul says, if, you're, if you want to start bragging, let me start bragging. Let me tell you the kind of confidence that I could place in my own doing, in my own religious activity. And then he starts, he starts laying it out. He says, um, he says this, um, in verse 4, we'll just pick it up again. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more, circumcised on the eighth day. Uh, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of, Is, uh, of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. See, you want to see my resume? You want to see my credentials? They're really, really impressive. I'll put anybody to shame in terms of credentials if you're looking at 
at the, at the acts of the flesh or the religious duty. And this was Paul's former life. And so he's just recounting what it used to be. Persecutor of the church. We'll circle back in just a minute on that. Look what he says in verse seven. But whatever gain I had, I counted everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain, may attain the resurrection from the dead. So let me just give you the main point of this message. If, there's, if you forget everything else, don't forget this. Here's the main point. The secret of learning contentment in all circumstances is knowing and experiencing the surpassing worth and value of Jesus, gaining Jesus. It's the only way you're gonna be able to say, I can be content in whatever circumstance if Jesus is of surpassing value in your life, if he's of surpassing worth in your life. You see it here in the text in verse seven and eight? But whatever gain I had, counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count, I count, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Verse eight, the last part. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. And I'm okay with that, he's saying. And count them as rubbish in order to, that I may gain Christ, that I might know him in verse 10, know him and the power of his resurrection. What's, what's Paul saying? Well, Paul is simply saying this, when we gain something that is worth more than anything else we've ever had, when we see and experience the value of something that far exceeds the value of anything else we've ever known, when something has captivated our hearts to the degree that nothing else really matters, then you and I can also say, I count everything as loss. I'm happy to suffer the loss of everything. I count everything I once esteemed as valuable as rubbish, as garbage, as dung. That's the literal translation. The things that used to really captivate my heart, the things that used to drive me, the things that used to be at the center of my radar, the things that I used to look to to bring contentment, I now see as valueless, of nil importance, worthless in comparison to what I've gained. Back years ago, when I was a young pastor in Prince Edward Island, I applied for a scholarship to go to a Billy Graham School of Evangelism in Halifax. And so uh, my coworker, Glenn, and I went to Halifax, and uh, it was a wonderful week of training, and in the evenings they had these plenary sessions, and a, a memory that sticks out to me is uh, hearing George Beverly Shea singing. It was when he was still alive. And he sang specifically a song that marked his ministry, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name. He's fairer than lilies of rarest bloom. He's sweeter than honey from out of the comb. He's all that my hungering spirit needs. I'd rather have Jesus and let him lead than to be a king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dead, dread sway. 
I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. That is what Paul was saying. All these other things that used to be so important to him were of no value in comparison to the worth and the value that he had received when he gained Christ. Everything pales in comparison to Jesus. Everything is insignificant in comparison to Jesus. Everything fades into the shadows really quickly when we see the worth and the value of Jesus when we gain Christ. And so you should be asking, and I should once again, here's another question, how do I gain Jesus? How do I gain him? If that's the secret to being content in whatever circumstance, how do I gain Jesus? How do I come to know and experience the surpassing worth of Jesus and the power of his resurrection? And it says here in verse nine of chapter three, the answer is so clear, being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. There's the answer. That's how I gain Christ. That's how you gain Christ. And Paul had reason to trust his own efforts. He had reason to trust his own abilities, his own laurels, his own accomplishments. We just, I already referenced them earlier. Circumcised on the eighth day uh, of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, he calls himself. As to the law, a Pharisee, to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So, so he was high up there. And like I said, unbelievable credentials. And his resume would have put almost every other religious person in that context to shame. He had it all. We read a story in Acts chapter 9 about how Paul was going to take a trip to Damascus when he was still a slave to sin and a slave to his religious efforts. And he was going there specifically to perform religious duties. And he was depending, on, in this trip, depending on his own self-righteousness. And he was depending on his religious duty. And he was, he was fully self-reliant. And on his way to fulfill this religious duty, on that road, something happened that completely turned everything on its head for the Apostle Paul. His name was Saul back then. And Jesus met Paul and everything changed. Everything was laid bare. Everything was exposed for Paul. Everything came crumbling down, all self-reliance, all religious effort, all appeasing of God, all religious zeal, all self-righteousness, all confidence in the flesh and his accomplishments. They were all stripped away in that moment on the Damascus Road. They were gone. And at that moment, Paul was initiated into a mystery. This is the secret. He was initiated into this mystery and he learns the secret and the secret is the surpassing value of Jesus and the power of Jesus' resurrection. And at that moment, on that road, something miraculous happened in Paul's heart that I'm praying has happened in your life. Maybe it hasn't yet. Maybe you're watching and, and this miracle that happened to Paul on the Damascus Road hasn't happened for you yet. And God longs to make this happen in your life. But you need to be like Paul, bend the knee, humble before God, and no amount of, and Paul came to the understanding that no amount of self-effort, no amount of religious duty, no amount of self-righteousness would ever be enough. He recognized that, that all that he'd been building, all of his religious things that he'd been building his resume with, his credentials, really meant nothing at all. And he realized that only one person had performed perfectly, and that was Jesus. Only Jesus was able to do things exactly the way our Heavenly Father in Heaven has prescribed them to be. Paul's resume meant nothing. Paul's religious zeal, like a filthy rag. And Jesus goes to the cross. This is the resurrected Christ in this story of, in Acts chapter 9. 
But Jesus goes to the cross and there he bears my punishment, the punishment I deserve for my sinfulness and for all of my religious uh, endeavors. And he takes all of that to the cross and he pays for my sin because he loves me. God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Jesus died, was buried, and he rose victorious. And, and on the Damascus road, Paul encounters this living Jesus and Paul's life changed forever as he trusted Jesus alone and received the righteousness that only Jesus can provide. And all of Paul's self-effort stopped and his reliance and faith in Jesus alone took root. This is the mystery of the gospel that Paul talks about in Ephesians, particularly there's all kinds of things. And so now he writes with full assurance and absolute conviction, I count everything as loss. I'm, I'm willing to suffer loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Friend, this morning, if you have gained Christ by putting your faith alone in Jesus for his finished work, then you can identify with what Paul said, but maybe you haven't done that yet. Maybe you've not wrestled that one down and not allowed the Spirit of God to come and, and bring you to a point of surrender to Jesus. And he would invite you to do that today. That you would say, Lord Jesus, I'm done. My self-effort is is not enough. I know that it's not enough, and I trust you, Lord Jesus, risen Savior, alone. So let me just ask this question as we start to close. How's your contentment today? How's your contentment with little? Oh, that God would allow our hearts to see and feel that we have everything we need in Jesus alone, so that we're not looking over the fence and looking at how green the grass is over there, because I'm going to tell you something. You're going to go over there, and it's still not going to bring contentment. Maybe for a short season, but not long-term, only Jesus will do that. That we might even see our earthly life as dispensable in comparison to gaining Jesus and to be able to join Paul in his exclamation, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. How about with plenty? Are you content with plenty? That seems like a strange question. At least for me, it would seem like a strange question. And, and for Paul to say, I've learned, I, I understand in my mind to learn to be content with little, but learning to be content with much, that doesn't even make sense. Of course, I'm going to be content with much. But there is something here that we need to think about because Paul got under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. Paul writes this, so there is a lesson we need to learn. What's the secret of contentment with facing, in facing plenty? And the battle and the wrestle with plenty and abundance might actually be harder than being content with little or in need because our natural bent is to take rightful blessings that God has for you and me and turn them into idols. John D. Rockefeller, who is an Ohio native, started Standard Oil. Um, Mr. Rockefeller was at one point the world's richest man and the first ever American billionaire. And he is still today considered to be one of the uh, most wealthy people in the history of the world. And when, uh, back in the 20s, he was asked by a reporter, how much money is enough and John D. Rockefeller responded, just a little bit more. See, that's the problem with much. That's the problem with plenty. Therein lies the danger of living in abundance, becoming idolaters where we start worshiping the plenty that God's provided for us. And the only way we will learn contentment here with much, with plenty, is if Jesus is more valuable to me than anything else in this world. So may I encourage you the reality is it's not, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a fight. Don't give up. 
And in chapter 3, Paul even, this, this, this giant of a follower of Jesus, he even says it. It's going to be a fight to the end. He says in verse 12, not that I've already attained or reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make my effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, do not, I do not consider myself to have, having taken hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting that which is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. So keep fighting. Keep fighting for contentment. The way you're going to do that is when Jesus is more valuable, worth more than anything else. Remember, you're in good company. The fight carries on just like it did with the Apostle Paul. And may our anthem be simply the same as this, the writer of this hymn, Take the world, but give me Jesus. All its joys are but a name, but his love abideth ever through eternal years the same. Oh, the height and depth of mercy. Oh, the length and breadth of love. Oh, the fullness of redemption, pledge of endless life above. So fight the fight. Find contentment in Jesus alone, and uh, God will be glorified in your life. So.